Blog Talk Radio.
Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. I hope you all had an absolutely wonderful Thanksgiving with family and uh, friends. We sure did. We spent a, really a week with family, three uh, days with my dad and then about a week uh, with uh, Jen's parents and, and her family. And so uh, we had a really good time and uh, really wrapped it up with uh, a really fun uh, travel day listening to the Georgia versus Georgia Tech game, Go Jackets, and uh, they uh, they beat Georgia this year. So how, how about that? <laughs> and it was one heck of a game, let me tell you, um, down to the last uh, 60 seconds. It was absolutely amazing, and riding down the road and uh, on our way to our next destination, listening to it, and the ups and downs, it was Really amazing, but we, we did have a great time with family and, uh, and friends as we look up, uh, look forward to here in the next uh, three or I guess three and a half weeks to uh, the next big holiday. We've got Christmas coming up, of course, and of course we'll take that week off. Um, so again, you as well as us can enjoy some uh, some family uh, time and family and friends. So gotta love it. Thanks for tuning in today, and uh, glad you remember that we were broadcasting today. We uh, transferred yesterday's show to today. Normally, Peter Brown comes on Mondays, but um, we, he had uh, uh, quite a busy day yesterday and had some things that were going on in office. So we said, hey, we'll just postpone it to Tuesday. No problem whatsoever. We're glad you're tuning in today. We've got Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown, and today is Q&A. So we've got several questions lined up over on our Facebook page. And, of course, if you want to call in with a question, 
you get sent to the head of the line. So that would mean 347-637-3237. That's 347-637-3237. If you have a chicken health question, you have to ask, like to ask Peter. Uh, then uh, you call and go to the head of the line. So we do have several other questions we're going to get to today. And uh, Peter, of course, is the founder and owner of First State Vet Supply. That's firststatevetsupply.com. And uh, if uh, if you had your head in the sand for the last four days, you may not have known that he had a very cool Black Friday uh, offer at his website, 10% off across the board at firststatevetsupply.com. Hopefully you took advantage of that and uh, got some stuff, uh, some well-needed stuff that you needed to maintain a healthy block from uh, from Peter. And uh, so, um, you know, it's, it comes in handy. And uh, they don't have it, you don't need it. That's what we always say here. So uh, let's go ahead. Speaking of that, let's bring on Peter Brown right now. Let's give him a big round of applause. Hey, Peter, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for uh, coming on today. We appreciate it. Yep, same to you, Andy. Uh, yeah. Watching your escapades on the Facebook page there a couple of times, so uh, uh, I guess it's good to good to visit with family, especially while they're still yeah, around. You know, well, we had a pretty good time, and uh, her parents are the mom battling Alzheimer's and her dad uh, having several strokes and all, but he's still pretty functional. Uh, drives during the day, but just not at night and that type of thing. But still a lot of a delay in, in decision-making and, um, and really making good decisions. And, and her mom is functional as far as kind of hanging out with the family, but as far as uh, you know, she still recognizes. In fact, I was very surprised she walked in the door. She knew exactly, you know, hey, there's Caleb. I'm kind of moving away. So, but, uh, but, yeah, it's just uh, anybody out there that's dealing with that, then uh, I feel your pain. Oh yeah, yeah. Anybody that is dealing with it, it's uh, it's not a pleasurable thing to to see and watch. Yeah, definitely not to see. You know, see your loved one there that's really not there, but she's there. It's just one of those crazy things. So, but um, so but we did have a good uh, Thanksgiving experience here, everybody. And I saw my dad and whatnot. So, and uh, looking forward to uh, you know, hey, end of the year and starting the new 2015 and looking for the best for uh, for that year, of course. And uh, we're glad to have you on. It is Tuesday, but it is Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown. And um, let me get over here to uh, my Facebook page. That's where most of the uh, questions are. And, again, folks, uh, we'll open it up to phone lines as well if you want to call and have a question, 347-637-3237. And uh, we'll go ahead and get started because we normally have time to answer, you know, seven to ten questions depending on now, we had a, a show about this, um, and we talked about this the last week or the week before. But we're going to start it off in case someone happened to miss um, the information. Uh, Melissa wants to know what's the simplest, cheapest way to test your flock for MG? <coughs> Michael. Well, um, yeah. It, uh, it, the. <laughs> Yeah, that's a tough question in, in a way, simple but yet tough. Um, I think where I would start, uh, if I were in this particular situation, I would start with my uh, local Department of Agriculture or if she happens to be in a state that's more poultry-friendly, um, you know, she might want to try one of the big universities. Um, 
that uh, has a poultry program and see if usually they have a diagnostic lab and they are usually tapped uh, as the people to go to. It just depends on the state. Some states it's not that way. And uh, just just ask. Uh, usually the uh, the uh, mycoplasma uh, MG plate test is the cheapest uh, that I'm aware of. Um, it's a uh, uh, a test where um, this person could uh, probably get some uh, blood tubes from the lab and um, um, take a little bit of blood herself, then mark the tubes and then drop them off to them, uh, and then they will uh, take the uh, serum because it's a it's a little bit different. If you've seen the pylorum test done, pylorum is done by whole blood as it comes out of the bird. So you take the raw blood as it comes out, a drop of that, a drop of the antigen, the pleurum antigen, uh, on a lit plate glass, uh, uh, and um, you know, uh, mix together and then rotate it around for a couple of minutes, and then uh, uh, read after about three minutes, uh, they read and, and act the same way. If it's clumpy, lumpy, bumpy, uh, grainy, uh, it's positive. If not, it's negative. So it's pretty simple. It's just that extra step or two in there, drawing the blood and then letting the blood separate out so that you can get the serum from the blood for the MG test. And they can do that in a lab, and they, it, it's, a, it's a no big deal for them. Uh, they buy the antigen in quantity, so they're going to uh, uh, have the cheapest, uh, lowest rate. I would probably say that you're probably looking at a lab to do that, um, probably around 2 bucks a bird. And the nice part about it is you don't have to euthanize the bird to do that. Okay, it's a very simple, straightforward test. It's been around for many, many years, and believe it or not, uh, it is and always has been used as a screening test. Uh, back uh, when I was in the pharmaceutical end of it on a commercial side, one of the big complaints uh, with this, uh, these particular products, was the fact that they did produce false positives uh, mm -hmm. on occasion. Um, so uh, I never knew anybody to know that there was a false negative, but there was always a, a risk of false uh, positives. And um, this being a screening test, when it came up as a positive, then that would mobilize whatever company it was to, uh, you know, to go to the next level of testing to see if it were indeed true. Uh, and uh, so it, it sparked a controversy because of the fact that these companies – you know, using it as a screening tool, didn't want to have to go to that next level and spend the money. Uh, and on one hand, you can't blame them. And it, the antigens got better and, and purified a little bit more and uh, had to do with, um, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, had to do with horse serum uh, being used in the, in the production of the antigen. And then with the advent of these killed vaccines, there was... Uh, uh, residues from making those vaccines that were reacting with the antigens and could cause a false positive. But for the average backyard homeowner who really doesn't do much vaccination-wise, it shouldn't be an issue as far as a false positive is concerned. Um, so uh, they're very, very accurate and always have been and still used to this day as a screening tool. So uh, I would you know, get a hold of my ag department, uh, uh, call somebody at the state Department of Agriculture and ask them who, who does you know, the antigen, uh, who does the uh, MG testing, uh, where could they get it done if they choose to do so. Um, another place you could try to do it uh, would be um, the University of Georgia uh, 
Poultry Research Lab in Athens, Georgia. You can Google it online, and you can call them and ask them what the procedure is for submitting specimens. Um, you could do it that way, and they're not overly expensive either. I, I want to say they're between, last I looked at them, I think somewhere between two, two and a half bucks in that range. It's relatively inexpensive, and in, in my opinion, um, if a person is leaning that way and talking about doing that, that's one of the smartest things you can do. There's nothing like knowing what's going on in the flock, nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like getting up every morning and knowing you feel well. And uh, it's the same thing for your flock. You can look out over them and you can look at their <laughs> at their uh, uh, blood work and you can say, hey, you know, these, these guys are in pretty good shape. I'm doing a good job here. And, and uh, you can also blood test birds inbound. They get there, quarantine them, blood test them, they come back negative. Then you can make a, an informed decision. Without that, it's a crapshoot. Uh, yeah, I'm visualizing as you're talking about that uh, how many uh, thousands of folks just you know walk, walk up and and um, say I'm here that for the chickens you posted on Craigslist and oh yeah here they are and uh, they're very 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 healthy. I wonder how many people say really. <laughs> now, have you yeah. had any tests? Have you have you tested them for anything during their entire life? Oh no, but look at them, they're healthy. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, um, not not for nothing, but some of the regulations, some of the states, even the state I live in, um, they're in place for a reason. Uh, you know, um, uh, I alluded to the fact that I think that um, uh, down the road you're going to see a whole lot of changes. We're already seeing some of them. Uh, for instance, a couple of medications that were overly easily bought over the counter. Uh, uh, one of them has already gone script uh, about a month or so ago, and the other one's scheduled to go that way. Um, after the first of the year, and that would be Thailand, which is already, uh, I think, in October or so it went script, and gallimiasin is going to go script in January. And I predicted these things. I said, you're going to see it come more and more, um, and you won't be able to buy squat at the store, but a a bag of vitamins and electrolytes if you're lucky. Uh, It'll take time, uh, but it's moving that direction. Um, I also alluded to the fact that the... the, uh, Studies that I've I've read to people over the air and and, and, and numerous posts uh, on Facebook and other places that uh, you know these studies they do of, of the poultry uh, disease laboratories you know, across the U.S. looking at um, you know uh, what problems are in backyard flocks um, you know are going to lead down the road in my opinion to further regulation and. Uh, um, it, it won't surprise me, and it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody else. And I think being at least proactive, you certainly will know beforehand what you've got in your flock. Doing it privately keeps you off the radar. Uh, and I think, you know, it's it's worth the expense of knowing uh, just what's going on in your flock. Um, uh, I still feel that it commands a premium. If somebody doesn't want to pay you a premium because you've been uh, – doing your due diligence and keeping your flock healthy, then uh, they don't need your birds and you don't need their money. And that's just the way I look at it. So. The silver lining there may be, there may be a silver lining there with these things going to prescription uh, only, and that is that it may make some, they won't do them all, but it may make some that, that we'll just say don't specialize in poultry or don't really have a, you know, get into that much. It may make them um, further educate themselves and, and get information and do some studying on poultry. So when people start coming to them saying, hey, I need this, I need this, I need this, when they write a description, they'll at least know, you know the dose, maybe recommend that they can draw on, things like that, and they make them get into learning a little bit more about poultry. So people may start coming to them to, uh, to, to get these uh, uh, 
some diagnosis from 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 the vets versus uh, just uh, um, going to the latest uh, blog or forum about chickens and oh my chicken had that this is what it was and you need to give this oh well did you have them tested to figure out that's what they had oh no I just found it on another blog <laughs> yeah so yeah. and we all know that that signs and symptoms present uh, it's amazing how many different uh, poultry diseases present with the same symptoms so there there may be a little bit of a, a silver lining there for for some some folks and, and some doctors out there. Taylor has a kind of lengthy question here, uh, Peter, um, okay. and, and she, she has gone and she's gotten the uh, necropsy and thing, but she wanted to follow up with, uh, with you. Um, over the last year, I've had over a dozen chickens die, one by one, each one getting progressively weaker over a few days, each stopping food and water intake and eventually dying. Uh, I have had one rooster recover when I was able to stay at home and continually give water around the clock. I have changed the feeding system and the water system, so both are lifted off the ground. Um, I thought, sure, this was coccidiosis, um, as a few of the birds did have bloody diarrhea. I treated the entire flock with amprolium and, and um, took the most recent dead bird and another live bird for necropsy. The live bird unfortunately showed no signs of any disease. The dead bird showed a, here we go with the punctuation, a diffuse uh, urogenital infection culture. It was positive for E. coli. Um, the liver showed some signs of hepatitis. Here's your question. Can E. coli cause outbreaks in an entire flock? If so, how can I prevent it? Are there antibiotics that work in chickens for this package? And lastly, could this still be coccidiosis possible? Thank you very much. Oh, and in the addendum here. Uh, the urogenital tract infection extended into the ovaries, but no lesions were seen within the colon or butt wall. Um, so, so it's kind of some history there, but the main question is, can, can, can a coli cause outbreaks in the entire flock, um, and how can you prevent that, and, uh, and antibiotics that maybe work for the coli, and lastly, based on the, kind of these symptoms, all, the only symptom we have really is the no eating, no drinking, dead in a few days after being weak, um, and a little bit of blood in some of the birds' uh, diarrhea. Okay. So that's um, that's uh, a Taylor's question. Yeah. And it's an interesting one. Um, I would like to have known uh, what the age of the birds were. Uh, that uh, would give us a little bit of, of, of help. Um, the um, fact that the uh, infection, uh, if I'm reading this right, and you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, extended into the uh, oviduct, um, Leads me to thinking that this is a case of uh, of salpingitis, uh, and, and uh, uh, salpingitis is an infection of the oviduct, similar to infections in human oviducts. Same thing, called the same thing in humans as it is in chickens. Uh, it's a uh, so that would be a, a, a you know urogenital duct uh, infection. Um, e. coli is a normal inhabitant of the of the gut of of birds, and as long as it stays in the lower end of the intestine, it's fine. When it migrates through the gut wall and becomes systemic into the body cavity, which we did not hear anybody say in this particular uh, necropsy, um, 
it, it is hard to make you know this type of a of a judgment uh, without seeing the paperwork. I'd like to see what tests they ran uh, all the way down the line, what they came up with, uh, uh, and, and so on. Uh, the hepatitis part of it, they didn't elaborate on that, so that could be a manifestation of the infection uh, with the E. coli. Uh, hepatitis uh, uh, just meaning more or less a liver problem, uh, and it, they, she didn't elaborate on that, and I don't think they did either. Um, so the blood and the droppings may or may not be uh, coccidiosis, but I didn't hear um, I didn't hear where. Uh, the necropsy said there was a problem with coxy either. They didn't seem to mention anything about worms. So this, this E. coli infection has worked its way into uh, the oviduct, and um, I, I, can't, I can't see it not working its way in elsewhere because E. coli can be very aggressive. And, and to answer the question, can E. coli uh, you know, contaminate an entire flock, you bet it can. Um, you go back about 15, 20 years now or so, uh, I think it was out in the state of Washington. A, a couple were riding around with their, their child doing something. They stopped at a convenience store uh, to uh, to get something to drink, and they bought, uh, trying to do the due diligence thing as a parent, they, they bought uh, apple juice for the child that uh, was not pasteurized, and the child drank it. It was contaminated with E. coli, and don't quote me on the exact timing, but it wasn't very long. In 24 to 48 hours, the child was dead. So, I mean, they, they can be extremely aggressive, uh, spread like wildfire. Uh, the droppings are, are the best place to, uh, in, in some cases, to spread it. Um, I would like to see the necropsy report before I venture out onto too many more limbs. If she wants to send it to me at uh, chickendr at firststatevetsupply.com and just mention that she's you know, uh, she asked a question on the show. I would be glad to uh, converse by email and or telephone, whichever is necessary, to see if we can't, uh, you know, get a better handle. And um, I, I'm wondering what the final diagnosis was, if she has that in hand as well. What was the laboratories? Because sometimes they, they do a necropsy and they give you an upfront, um, um you know, diagnosis on a gross necropsy, and then they get into doing some testing and stuff and uh, head off into a different direction. Um, I had an interesting case here a couple, three weeks ago. Uh, Bird presented with what appeared to be a severe case of pox all around the eye, uh, comb, waddle area, all on one side of the face. It was as ugly as all get out. And, um, I mean, it, it just looked picture-perfect pox, uh, you know, pretty simple. Um and the preliminary necropsy report said so, but the final necropsy report came back as aspergillosis. So go go bite that one, you know. And so what what looks like it maybe isn't always what you think it is. Um, and I was only looking at pictures, you know, in an email. But uh, you know, and that's the first time I've ever seen it present that way. But that's the way it is. It didn't present as that normal. Uh, uh, you know, type of a, of a uh, situation that we see with with the aspergillosis, but it it was picked up and cultured out of the body cavity and so on. So, you know, it was there obviously, but this uh, leathery appearance to the face I've never seen before. So it was uh, was an interesting thing. Um, and in the final necropsy report, said no evidence of pox. So there you go. So it's hard to hard to put your finger on it sometimes, even even in a uh, you know the gross necropsy. So I would like to see what the final report said. And uh, I'd be glad to discuss that with her, and then 
in another show we could come back and and, uh, and and give any further findings that we may have from that, but I'd be glad to speak with her about it. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, Ken has a, uh, a question here. We hear a lot between really September and uh, and February. Ken wants to know, uh, my Araucanas haven't laid for almost six weeks. Why not? Two others are laying at a slower pace. A couple of avenues we can go. Um, I'll take one and then confirm the other. To, uh, Andy, I can't hear you. Hello? I can't hear you. How about now? No, still nothing? Now you're good. You were breaking up terrible. Okay, thank you so much for that. Yeah, I had, a, I had an issue. I'm not sure so we'll keep uh, We'll try this. Um, so uh, the question was, my Araucanas haven't laid for almost six weeks. Why not? Two others are laying, but at a slower pace. Um, and uh, once we prepare this often, when it comes out both September and January and February, and uh, the shorter days a lot of times are the culprit, which chickens need uh, approximately 14 hours of life each day to maintain um, egg production. So a lot of people uh, they're just they kind of fall into categories. One, that just that they say, you know what, this is a natural process. I'm not going to try to force them to lay. They need a rest for the wintertime, and, and I'll just expect uh, fewer eggs. Now, if it's just you and your wife and you have 20 chickens, you'll probably get plenty of eggs to sustain just you and your wife for what you need. Uh, but if you have a family of four or five and have six chickens, then you may start having to buy some eggs because they're just not going to lay enough to maintain that family of four or five or six people. Um, and so some people here say, oh, the natural time, I'm going to let them rest throughout the winter. I'm not going to add light to the coop. Some people have the, they fall into the other category of, by golly, if I'm spending $15 a bag or more for feed, I'm going to get all the eggs I can out of my girls, and I'm going to put light in there. Um, you know, it's a great article in the Winter Edition of Chick Whisper magazine about adding light to the coop. You're breaking up, Andy. I can't hear you. Still can't hear me. Great thing. Okay, I'll defer it over to you then. And the question Stop, is: You can go ahead. Um, you're, you're you're right on. You're right on the money. You're not saying anything I probably wouldn't say. Okay, okay. But, and then, um, so so the lighting issue, and and some people fall into that category of, um, you know, if I'm paying 15 bucks a bag, I want to get eggs, so I'm going to add the artificial light. We've seen though that a lot of people add too much light, uh, too much than what's needed, um, and and to be scientific as as um. Dr. McRae states in, in the article and has for years on this radio show how much light is actually needed to maintain egg production for your hens, and it ends up being about a half a foot candle uh, of light. Now, how much light is that? Uh, go into the coop after dark. Take a flashlight or a light and a newspaper, and the minimum light required for you to read that standard newspaper in that coop, holding it six inches away from your nose, is a half a foot candle. That's all the lights that needed. Uh, so maybe even a child's night light would, would actually be enough for uh, to provide the light. So that, that's that's one um, uh, big reason why hens start to slow down when the days get shorter, uh, less light. You're looking at that 14, 15 hours of light per day it's required to maintain egg production. Um, and that's one. The other is they may be coming off a of molt. And I'll let Peter uh, talk a little bit about how that can affect egg production. Well, I mean, the molt itself is is designed by by nature, um, you know, to uh, to bring the bird to a, uh, a a halt as far as egg production is concerned, um, 
allow them to uh, actually, uh, they're supposed to, uh, in most cases, lose a little bit of weight, uh, take a little rest, let their their body heal, so to speak, uh, let the oviduct rejuvenate itself, uh, uh, and, and so on, and also to put on new plumage for, for the uh, for the for the winter. Um, so all of that is really, you know, a photoregulation type thing in conjunction with uh, with genetics. Um, you know, some of these old standard things that we uh, have in our heads about birds laying eggs uh, have more than likely changed a little bit with the different breeds and breeding, inbreeding, close breeding, line breeding, every all the kind of different breeding that people are doing, you know, uh, uh, does change the uh, the uh, the way these birds are going to react. I've seen birds just go go right on uh, laying eggs, uh, and uh, while they're molting and dropping feathers, I've seen others just drop uh, uh, a little bit of uh, feathers here and there, and, and take forever to molt, but still lay eggs. And then I see another take a crash and halt, and not lay another egg for God knows how long. Um, but photostimulation, uh, you know, through the eye is the uh, and through the uh, the um, uh, through the uh, skull uh, is um, how the the uh, the, uh, the bird is uh, hormonal system is triggered to uh, to to lay eggs, and um, it's also uh, hormonal. Besides, uh, we talked about it uh, uh, in in times past with the whole show and stuff on it as well. Uh, the the hormone inhibin uh, from day one when they start laying eggs very very little of that is excreted by the bird's uh, uh, glandular system and the more eggs they lay the more they start to uh, produce more of this inhibin uh, hormone which is designed to turn off egg production and uh, eventually uh, it does and uh, enough of it's produced where the bird goes into uh, uh, to a molt stops stops laying eggs so. Usually they come out of it on their own. In this particular situation, I would probably try uh, photostimulation, um, get out past 14 hours of light a day, and uh, I would try to add light at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. That's the way it's always been done. seems to work the best. So if I were going to add um, uh, some light to it, maybe 15, 20 minutes in the morning, 15, 20 minutes uh, in, the, uh, in the evening, and maybe I would do that, uh, you know, once a week till I get up to about 16 hours of light. I think once you get up to that, that point in time, there are probably people that will disagree. There's enough studies to go around to show every kind of different lighting scheme you're interested in. Uh, um, you know, uh, some, that, some that can believe that birds can, can lay eggs continually with just a small amount of uh, photostimulation and pure darkness after that uh, to uh, ones where they're lighted two or three hours and... Uh, hour of darkness back to light again uh, I never got understood all of that stuff why they do that but um, that's the direction I would I would go in and a lot of it is genetics a lot of it's age of the bird as they age they're going to slow down give you less eggs uh, be have more of a of a bulky type start to to their uh, laying season um, and a lot of it has to do with nutrition too uh, you know birds that birds that are not being kept in the proper facilities who are always cold, uh, not necessarily during the day itself, but at night when they go to roost and, and all of these things, it's all stress, and that's all going to make them uh, either stop laying eggs, slow down laying eggs, uh, and, and so on. 
and, and part of the reason for that is egg laying is a secondary sexual characteristic, meaning they do not need it to to uh, to survive. So it's the first thing to go. So uh, I would look at increasing the the uh, the, the day length. Um, we're not interested in eggs in our flock, and every now and then uh, here lately we'll get an egg, and uh, four or five days will go by, you get another egg. Uh, summertime it's a little bit uh, more than that, but we don't push them. We're not interested in the, uh, the egg laying at this point in time. But uh, that's the approach I would take to it. Egg laying is, is a very interesting thing. Uh, again, uh, it's the day length, the photostimulation, uh, the hormonal balance, uh, the nutrition, uh, the facilities that they're being kept in, birds that are cold all night long and struggling to survive, you might think it's okay because, you know, you go out in the morning, they don't have a burned comb, their feet aren't frozen, uh, and they, you know, they jump down off the roost and they go to the feed right away. But if they're under stress, they're not going to lay any eggs, just not, or they're going to lay darn few. Uh, when they feel threatened, um, corticosteroids kick in and, and they're going to stop. So... Uh, you know, you need to take all of those things into consideration. But if you if you go through and methodically look at what's what's going on, um, you know, you can change what you can change and uh, uh, go with it from there. But photostimulation is is the biggest uh, has the biggest impact on the birds. And Andy's right, uh, about a half a foot candle sitting down on the floor, six inches from your face, uh, just barely can read that newspaper fairly comfortably. You're good to go. That's all they need. Don't need a big bright light. And other people mess up the photo period by leaving night lights on for them at night, just like it is for humans. Uh, there's plenty of research around the show now that if you leave a night light on and, and uh, you're, you're actually seeing it while you're asleep and it, it interferes with your, I don't know which particular part of your sleep, but it does. It's not healthy to do so. So all of these things, um, you know, affect the chickens as well. All righty. Um, our good friend up in uh, Massachusetts, Robert Roseberry, has a question for you. Uh, we have a hen who molted, and she has tons of down, but hardly any feathers. Uh, she's active, eating well, and her poop looks normal. Any thoughts on her lack of feather growth? Interesting. Uh, probably what I would do is is uh, try to increase her protein a little bit. Um, maybe add some... Uh, Cooked liver to her to her diet, um, and maybe add some uh, hamburger meat that's cooked well, and uh, the liver cooked well as as, as well, and, and see if if the extra protein because feathers are predominantly protein. Um, and again, this may be one of those genetic things. Uh, uh, we we've seen it many many times where birds, uh, you know, uh, they they molt out and then feathers don't come back the way we'd like to see them come back. But I would probably try uh, jump-starting with some extra protein. And um, uh, it's an indication of stress sometimes, too. So if she's under pressure from breeding, cold, um, uh, fighting for space at the feed trough, uh, any of those things, um, you, you might want to take a look at some of those things. But uh, lack of feather development sometimes uh, is caused by stress. Um, so you can look at those things, but I'd probably start with the protein first and, and see if that makes a difference. If not, you can always shoot me an email. I know Rob real well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good deal. All righty. Hey, we're going to uh, take a commercial break here, and then we'll get back. We've got several more questions from folks on our Facebook page. So uh, we're talking with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State Vet Supply. It's Q&A today we're answering uh, uh, listener questions that have been posted on our Facebook page. And remember, 
If you have a question and want to call in, you go to the front of the line, 347-637-3237, Don't be shy. Well, uh, there's no stupid questions, and we'll be sure to and stay with us. We'll be back with more Q&A with Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor, right after this short break. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. 
Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your hen saver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. All right, thank you very much for joining us today on Backyard Poultry uh, with the Chicken Whisperer. Today, of course, Tuesday, we're uh, a day delayed, but no worries. We've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, joining us today. It is Q&A, and we're going to get back over here to our uh, Facebook page and go down here to the next question. We've got a few more uh, before we uh, end the show today. Let's see, uh, Karen has a question here for you, Peter. Occasionally... The hens get cuts along their backs from the rooster, I'm assuming. Uh, Never an emergency, small gouges, and they usually stop bleeding quickly. What would be your recommendation for first aid for those hens? Any meds, any topical treatment, isolate, any advice is appreciated. Unless it's a, a real deep laceration, I would probably, uh, I know what we do around here, just a simple triple antibiotic ointment on the top just a little bit. You don't want to uh, gob it on. Just just a little bit, clean it maybe uh, with some uh, betadine. Uh, you don't want anything harsh to clean uh, you know, tissue like that because um, like iodine and stuff, it actually ends up killing the tissue that you really want to come together and, and uh, in my estimation prolongs the healing, so uh, just uh, wipe it off uh, with uh, a little bit of a a betadine-type solution and put some uh, triple antibiotic ointment. I don't think any oral antibiotic is needed. That would only be indicated if if you were to to see, uh, you know, some swelling, uh, some significant swelling and, uh, you know, uh, within that swelling, some oozing of pus or anything like that from the wound, then then it would uh, possibly uh, warrant uh, taking a look at, uh, you know, giving an oral antibiotic. Uh, If I were going to do, if I was going to go out on that ledge and and do that, if I felt it was necessary, I would be looking at something along the lines of cephalexin, which is a good soft tissue. It's used in dogs and cats all the time for for skin issues. Part of getting an antibiotic to work uh, sometimes is um, uh, knowing where it will work versus where it will not work. For instance, uh, if you were going to look at uh, BMD bacitracin and neomycin, they have a pretty good history of working against E. coli, but they only work in the gut. They don't migrate out from there. So if you're looking at using those to take care of an air sac infection, not going to happen. So... uh, uh, you know, those kinds of things need to be taken into consideration. So that that would be my, my medication of choice if I were yeah. uh, going to go along those lines. But 99.9% of the time, uh, really nothing is needs to really be done. It's unsightly, no question, but uh, I would uh, I would just uh, 
clean it off, put some uh, uh, triple antibiotic ointment on it, and go with it from there and keep an eye on it. Let me ask you this. Uh, we, we do have a very long-time sponsor, uh, Crazy Cape Farm. has a lot of uh, chicken health products that, that she's uh, um, developed uh, from uh, the birdie booty to help with bumble foot and injured foot things made out of kind of a neoprene waterproof material they can wear. She's not doing bandage and bandage and bandage. It just falls off. They, they get things like that. And uh, she does have the hen saver, um, hen apron, um, that... Uh, you know, for, for this, again, very reason, I think they've been developed for probably 100 years or so, uh, that you can actually put on the hens if you have that, again, like the ad says, that uh, over-affectionate rooster to prevent some, some of this injury. If it's, if it's that bad, um, would that would that not be an option for her to try on a couple of the hens to see if that may give the hens some uh Yeah, I think that that would... Yeah, that would work as a as a preventative, and um, I would probably go. You know, if I felt uh, that I, I I needed to to do something about this, I mean, first off, I think one of the smart things to do is to take the roosters uh, and um, you know trim their trim their their uh, their uh, toenails a little bit and uh, and um, use a, a a file and round them off rather than leaving them sharp uh, after you cut them, because even after you cut them, they're still sharp. Uh, not as sharp as they were when they were pointed, but if you can round them off, it makes it a lot tougher for them to dig into their skin so easily. So that's one one way of helping to prevent it. Uh, the uh, the aprons certainly, uh, I know a lot of people use them. Um, and I would probably go one step further if I thought it was necessary. Um, you could take some double-sided tape and take a, uh, they make these uh, gauze pads now that, uh, have a tendency not to stick to the wound so easily, and you could, you know, tape that to the underside of the uh, of the apron and put that on with just a smidget of, uh, of let's say, a triple antibiotic ointment on. So you could make your own, you know, gauze pad deal right there to protect it and and help it heal all at the same time. Because research does show that even in humans, uh, where you uh, uh, put a little bit of a triple antibiotic on a on a on a cut or abrasion. You put a Band-Aid over it at the same time that it does heal quicker, and uh, so that that would you know speed up any uh, uh, any problems that are already there, and it would also keep it from reoccurring. So uh, all the way around, I think that either way is a good deal. Okay, good deal, awesome. All righty, um, got a few more here. We had a couple that I'm I'm going over because I had to do with feather development. We talked about the increased um, protein and things for uh, Robert's question, so uh, I didn't um, ask those specifically because it did have to do with you know uh, feather uh, rejuvenation and getting feathers to grow. So I skipped over those. Uh, so I want to get a few more before we uh, end the show. Um, Linda has a question here. I have a year-old hen that has a constant cough and sneeze, but no other symptoms. She has been going on for about a month now, just cough and sneeze, but no other symptoms. No extended uh, crop. Uh, I've massaged her neck, fed her olive oil, separated her, but eventually put her back with the flock. She doesn't seem to be any distress, just an occasional bout of coughing and uh, the occasional sneeze. Any ideas? Um, th- we see this <clears throat> on occasion. Um, doesn't seem to be, um, in most cases, any real rhyme or reason that that we can see. It does not seem to be contagious. Uh, it's not the first time I've seen it. Uh, I've seen it many times, actually, uh, over the years. Um, 
but as a precautionary thing, I would, you know, I would certainly check the inside of the bird's mouth, uh, and I would be looking for any uh, any growths that don't belong there. Um, down the way down the back of the throat, as far as you can see, under the tongue, on top of the tongue, corners of the mouth, all along the edges of the beak, uh, in the nasal cleft, in the roof of the mouth, and anywhere in the soft tissue areas of the mouth. See if there's anything growing there. It doesn't belong there. Uh, we're looking for small, yellowish, uh, orangey-yellow-looking buttons that are actually attached to the skin. Uh, they're, not, uh, uh, they're not pieces of feed that just happen to be stuck in a corner somewhere or under the tongue or whatever. Uh, look at the glottis itself that's in the floor of the mouth right behind the tongue and make sure there's nothing growing over top of that. So what we would be looking for here is the possibility of, of canker. Um, it would be interesting to see, uh, certainly up to the individual uh, they didn't mention whether or not they tried any antibiotics or not, but uh, um, whatever it is, it isn't contagious. Uh, I have seen this on occasion, and only twice um, that I can that I can recall. And the only way you're going to know it is to euthanize the bird. And I don't think that anybody's going to be up for that, including myself. It's not a way to find out something unless it's a problem. Um, but we've seen this with deformed airways, airways that are not um, formed. Uh, the way they're supposed to be, have a little extra bend in it or, or uh, an area where it's a little flat or something like that. And what ends up being is that when the bird breathes, uh, obviously the airflow is not right and causes them to, uh, to sneeze or causes them to, uh, to uh, uh, have a coughing sound. But, uh, and it would be interesting to see if she did it on her own all the time or if she do it just when she's eating. When they're eating and drinking and they do it. Okay, it's a failure of the glottis to close properly as the food and the, and the water are going by. Uh, because they eat and drink in two different places, the food, whatever food they drink and whatever water they drink, okay, uh, has to go, you know, all the way over the top of the tongue and over the top of that glottis. If that glottis is not closing properly, you will get this. You'll get this coughing, sneezing, snicking, snorting. Um, even if they're out digging around in the yard and they pick up something there and they go to eat it, if that glottis isn't closed and a little speck of dirt, a little speck of feed, a little speck of anything gets in there, it'll cause them to, it's a reflux, uh, reflex reaction just like ours, and it'll cause them to do that. So hard to put your finger on it. I mean, if it's not bothering anybody other than the bird itself, uh, but it would be interesting to see if an antibiotic would take it away, and that would tell you whether it's bacterial or not. But I would do all of the checking. She didn't mention any runny nose, eyes, that kind of thing uh, that I can recall. So... Uh, uh, you know, okay. it just maybe maybe one of those things. Good information. Thank you very much. Travis wants to know what he can do to deter hawks away from his free-range chickens. They seem to be really bad. November to February. Any any just uh, suggestions? You've been doing this for fifty plus years. Uh, any things you've heard to deter hawks from free-range chickens? I always tell folks in my classes, if you want to have a hundred free-range chickens, go ahead and buy two hundred. Because you'll eventually have 100. Um, <laughs> that's what I tell them. I, I tell them that's an ex a little bit of an exaggeration, but at the same time, you get my drift. Um, so uh, any, anything, uh, Peter, for him to help him? Yeah, he didn't say how many how many chickens he has free-ranging, free but um, uh, and this is a pain in the neck, but it, it can be effective. Uh, you know, you, you can uh, make a large enough pen for them and move it around every day. Now, if he has birds just running around out in, out in the woods, I mean, in open space, they're fair game. 
I mean, uh, you know, a hawk will go down in the trees and get a bird too, but uh, it's harder for them to do so um, and uh, uh, not as easy for them to find them that way as it is out on the open uh, yard. But, uh, you know, uh, taking the a, uh, some netting and, and, and uh, you, you, you could really make it like a chicken tractor type thing and, and have it so it will drop down on the ground. And uh, if you use um, uh, netting that is... Uh, uh, for this particular purpose, and I forget the size of the one I sell right off the top of my head, but you can get it anywhere. Uh, it's real, real strong, got good high tensile strength, won't break and everything else, and hawks really can't get through. It's not one of those things where they can open up on the loops and slip through. Um, so that's one way. Another way is, you know, uh, I've fishing line stretched with uh, uh, with CDs on it, the, the, uh, the reflection of the sun and, and the noise of them banging around and stuff, uh, but you know what? Lots of times they get used to that stuff. And if it's just, uh, you know, be- before dark and that kind of thing, getting those birds to move uh, is is tough. Um, I know here, every year when they spread manure out on the fields here, the chicken manure from the commercial chicken houses, I eventually get these uh, turkey buzzards wanting, because on my property i got these real tall loblolly pines, and they want to sit in the top of those things, and I don't want them sitting there. And unless you're there, when they get ready to go to roost, and you have something that's going to, you know, uh, get them out of there, they're not moving. And I can't tell you how much money I spend on these these air horn things to, you know, to, uh, you know, to go out on the on the backyard and just hold it right under the tree and let them have it until they move. And they they will, but if if you're not right there, once they settle down and they're settled in, you're getting them moving is something else. Uh, so the hawks can be a problem, and uh, I think it's—I don't think there's any easy answer. But I have some folks that rely on the uh, fishing line with um, the CDs attached to them that they claim works. Um, and uh, I know this one party—they uh, let them run loose all over the place, and they haven't lost any to the hawks. Um, so uh, you know they've lost some to the garbage that's in the stream. They let them drink out of, but that's another story. So. Another story. Yes, sounds yeah. like it. Okay, I've got two comments, and then we'll finish up with two questions. Uh, Candy, I uh, thought you might enjoy this uh, here, Peter. She says Peter Brown is amazing. He has helped us a lot. Thank you. Love this show. So uh, that's Candy Howard. Uh, left that message for you, Peter, yep. on our Facebook page. Yep, I know Candy and, well. And, I've talked to her. Yep, nice people. Great. And then Jody, I thought this was a kind of uh, a funny uh, comment. She says, "Chickens, chickens seem to be easy. Now for turkeys, yes. Had nine turkeys, only got to eat one." <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the, the biggest thing I find with with folks with with turkeys, I mean, if she's lost them to predators. That's one thing. But um, two things that go on with turkeys on, on a regular basis is uh, they pick up blackhead, and people don't recognize it. And they treat it uh, as if it were coccidiosis, and that won't work. Okay. And um, the other one is coccidiosis. Uh, I had a, um, uh, a fellow here not too long ago uh, who had some turkeys just before Thanksgiving, and one of them died. And um, he didn't know anything about me. He got to me through cackle hatchery. I have an, an, a, a, a chicken doctor agreement with them. And uh, so he, he called them, paid his money, and uh, they sent them on to me, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I talked to them about it. And, 
he had another one that wasn't doing well and everything else. And he had the medicine right there. I said to him, I said, look, you got nothing to lose. I said, you know, break out the Amprol and, and make it just a little bit stronger. I said, and give it to him. And I gave him a follow-up call. He called me back, and uh, the problem went away. So half the battle, chicken, turkey, I don't care what it is, is, is trying to, to learn the symptoms, uh, recognize it up front, and as soon as you make a decision, right, wrong, or indifferent, we've talked about it before on this show, making a decision is better than sitting there wondering if you should make a decision, okay? Whether it's right, whether it's wrong, doing something, at least you can walk away from it and say, well, I did the best I could do because I did something. But just mm-hmm. sitting around watching them die is, is not my cup of tea, believe me. So, uh, you know, recognizing it and doing something as quickly as you can, uh, certainly uh you know, people that get a hold of me, I bend over backwards to help everybody and anybody. Um, because, you know, for me, it's it's not it's not the end of the day uh, all about how much money you can put in a till. For me, uh, the the excitement for me is fixing it and making them well. And when I can't, I get just as irritated and feel just as bad as you guys do. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Okay, our last two questions. Uh, Kimberly has... Um a silver-laced Wyandotte that is still sick after three days of Tylen injections. I don't know if it's Tylen 50 or Tylen 200, Doc, but, uh, and it's only been three days. So I think from our previous show we talked about a, a longer uh, process with that. But uh, silver-laced Wyandotte still sick after three days of Tylen injections with an upper respiratory infection uh, after I had carelessly over-applied sweet PDZ powder before moving the chickens from the barn brooder boxes to their permanent outdoor home. Uh, should I treat her longer? Uh, I treated everyone in my flock except the three Muscovy ducks, and should I treat them too? So um, uh, she's got the pylon. Uh, should she retreat for how long and what, what dose? And then should she also treat the ducks? Yeah, we look at a uh, quarter of a cc twice a day, of Thailand 50, Um if you got a big bird, you can go up to, um, you know, a half a cc all, all at one time. And, and if you spread it out during the day, you can, you can get away with giving uh, half a cc twice a day for big birds. Um, I like to see it done for a minimum of five, maximum of seven. Uh, I don't like Thailand injectable in the first place because you got to poke a hole in a bird once or twice a day. That's uh, uh, traumatic in its, in its in its own right. Um, you know, picking the bird up, holding it. Uh, restraining it, uh, stabbing it with a needle and stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, of putting things in, in the water. And, you know, if you've got a bird that isn't really drinking that much water, you can certainly uh, uh, mix the uh, medication up. If you're using Thailand water soluble, you've got about a teaspoon and a gallon of water, make that up, pull it up in a syringe, uh, put a piece of tubing on it, and put it down the, uh, uh, the bird's throat and uh, give it a good what we call a pulse dose right off the bat. Not going to hurt it a bit. Uh, most of these medications, the the, uh, the Thailand and especially in the water soluble category, and the uh, uh, you know most of the water soluble medications, uh, uh, leaving out the sulfur drugs, they're a class all by themselves. But um, you know your your Thailand, your gallomycin, uh, uh, Amprol, Corid, uh, uh, Duramycin, Oxytet, uh, Oreomycin, uh, any of those, they're pretty benign. You know, you have to go out and really stretch it out to 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 uh, to kill a bird and do some real damage. So, giving a pulse dose of the, of the medication up front, the pulse dose just a larger dose gets into the system, gets it rolling uh, quick. Um, yeah, but I prefer the, the them over injectables 90% of the time. There are times where you just have to do the injectable thing. Now she said something about PDZ powder. 
um, she might want to take a look at uh, a different product for uh, for ammonia control and bedding, and it's called Chick Flick. It's something new on the market. We just started carrying it uh, because it's made by a manufacturer who uh, makes this type of thing for the commercial poultry industry. So, uh, um, and I think, uh, well, I know Bridget McRae was doing a uh, a study on the, on the product and its uh, ability to knock down ammonia and, and so on in, in chicken houses. Uh, in a backyard setting, and uh, I happen to know one of the people involved in that, and you just can't believe how how quickly it does in a matter of minutes. Uh, the ammonia smell is pretty much gone. So uh, she might want to take a look at that because some of these other things can can really hurt the respiratory system. So she may be dealing with a bird who has a uh, respiratory system that may be irritated from this powder rather than an actual outbreak of disease, and that may be why she's not getting anywhere with uh, this particular medication. Um, so I would carry out the uh, the uh, Thailand for five to seven days. She's not getting anywhere. She can contact me at chickendr at firststatevetsupply.com, and we can chat about it and see what we can do about it. Great information. Appreciate it. And we'll wrap it up with this one from Loretta. Um, she says her husband and her have very different views and beliefs when it comes to animal husbandry. <laughs> How many times have we heard that? Um, <laughs> uh, says, uh, uh, he thinks you just uh, put them in, provide some food and water, and that's it, and uh, nothing else. In fact, she said she sold her horse because their hay was filthy, and he refused to purchase clean hay for her horse, so she sold it. Um, I'm sure you uh, know why I have these beliefs. Now, her question is, he, her husband, never changes the chicken's litter, uh, excuse the chicken's bedding. Uh, they just end up uh, getting like a mold all over their feet. So do you, can you tell me maybe what this mold is all over their feet? Can it be treated with a homemade remedy? Um, he does not like to spend any extra money on farm animals. Uh, thank you so much for your help. So uh, kind of identifying this other than um, her husband doesn't um, want to take, apparently sounds like her, proper care of her animals. But, but the issue right now is um, he's not changing the bedding. Uh, when she says it's sawdust, and they end up getting uh, like a mold, quote-unquote, all over their feet. Do you know what this may be and how can it be treated? And I wouldn't go so far to say as you may not be looking at... Um, uh, scaly leg mites, uh, but she didn't elaborate on what it looks like or anything. Just a, it looks like a mold over their feet. Uh, what could this be? Yeah, you know, I've never, um, uh, I've never seen um, mold on their feet. Now, it's, it's, you know, this is an ugly thought, but um, you know, Favis comes to mind. That's a possibility. Um, you know, fungal infection um, sounds to me like they're being kept in in very uh, very 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 poor conditions. Um, um, I I don't know for sure uh, what she has. If she again, I, I I before I go out on a limb myself and 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 step in something, I think I'm better off to uh, to uh, get a picture of this and see because if it is scaly leg mites, everything else you're going to do is is for naught. And uh, you know I don't like chasing my own tail. It's kind of uh, counterproductive. But uh, she can send me a picture, clear as she can get, of their feet at uh, chickendr at firststatevetsupply.com, 
and I'd be glad to uh, recommend uh, a remedy, whether it be homeopathic or, or natural or, or whatever. But um, I, I don't know. This one is, um, well, to, 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 to put it frankly with you, these kind of things irritate the living daylights out of me. And um, um, not to be rude or anything, but if you stand next to me, I think I'd slap him one. So that's just my opinion, and I'm entitled to it. So. Yep, there you go. All right, now I completely understand. So uh, if she is uh, listening, Loretta, um, chicken dr, chicken dr at firststatevetsupply.com, and that's going to wrap up uh, our show today. Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown, founder of firststatevetsupply.com. If they don't have it, you don't need it. And, uh, hey, you know, we uh, we had all the information out there for you, 10% off across the board. Friday through Monday. If you missed it, well, hey, sucks for you. But um, <laughs> well, we're, we're still offering the suite of heaters, six ninety five shipping. So, um, and the the price that appears in the uh, um, you know on the site is the shipping included. So, when you go to the site and you order it, it's just um, you know it's just the six ninety five. It's already in it. So uh, that's a deal in itself. So absolutely, that's for the sweeter heaters and. Uh, uh, it is the season for those, but um, but yeah, you'll have to catch the uh, folks if you missed this uh, opportunity for our Black Friday deals. They went from uh, Black Friday through Cyber Monday. Uh, hey, guess what? We'll be around hopefully, uh, God willing, next year, and we'll have another Black Friday sale with a lot of our sponsors. Peter, thank you very much for joining us today. It was a great show, great Q&A. I know you love that when uh, can you do the Q&A. It can help a lot of people. We love it. Uh, fans love it because they can get some answers. Uh, uh, questions answered, other than just going to the checking blogs and forums and getting who knows what from them. So, uh, but we thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, again Peter Brown. It was Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. That's FirstStateVetSupply.com. Do you have any questions for Peter? Chicken Dr. Chicken Dr. At First State. Supply.com. Thank you for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you, uh, if you uh, submitted a question, you got that answered and it was satisfactory to you. And uh, we'll be back later this week with more Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Again, follow us on Facebook and become a fan on Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to the absolutely free edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine Digital Edition. You can also subscribe to the print edition and have it mailed directly to your front door for just $9.95 per year. ChickenWhisperermagazine.com. God bless everybody.